This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Brian Billick here for the Coaches Show Podcast, joined by a very special guest, Charlie Cashley. This week, we'll talk about the behind the scenes of Black Monday in the NFL as we react to the latest head coaching news around the NFL. Plus, which teams playing this weekend's games have a chance to make it all the way to Super Bowl 48. We preview the start of the playoffs in this week's Coaches Show podcast, which starts now. Well, Charlie, thanks so much for joining us. And I can't think of a better guy to talk about this with because we've just come through Black Monday. There are six coaches. Five were fired on Monday. Obviously, Gary Kubiak we knew about earlier in the season. Uh, You've been through this process. First, let's talk about the decision to let go of a coach. Talk about that process from the general manager's perspective with ownership, how you come and, and what that process is like and when you finally decide to pull the trigger. You know, Brian, I, I think to me, looking at a situation in a simplistic way, is is the coach getting the most out of the talent that he has in front of him? That doesn't say what his one and loss record is. Is he getting the most out of it? Are the players listening to him? Are the players still responding to him? That, to me, is what you're looking for. I'll give you the Cincinnati Bengals as a great example. Marvin Lewis, in his first five years, had one winning season. But Mike Brown did not waver. Mike Brown looked at that squad and said, hey, we're not good enough and we're injured. This guy's doing a good coaching job. The record doesn't reflect what kind of a coach he is. So that, to me, is what you're trying to evaluate with a coach. Now, and I'll, I'll take it from the coach's perspective. When I hear that, does there not have to be a part of it that says, well, maybe it's the players. Maybe we have the wrong players if they're not responding to the coach. It's like in, in, in New York with Tom Coughlin. Of course, well, maybe he should go. Maybe he's lost the locker room. Well, Tom Coughlin is going to go in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Maybe you need a new locker room. How do you balance that between the perspective of, Maybe this locker room is not right versus really getting a sense of maybe this coach is not capable of leading a group of young uh, well, uh, players. I, I think that's an excellent point, Brian. But then the question has to go: Who created the locker room? Okay, you know, are these the players that the coach chose and wanted, and these are his guys? Okay, or is, are there players that were put in there that weren't his people that shouldn't be in there? So you have to evaluate, as you pointed out, who's in the locker room and how did they get there. And whose responsibility is for that? You know, sometimes a coach can, uh, uh, you know, and, and I've seen some terrific coaches. I think Marty Schottenheimer, who's a great coach at the end of Kansas City, you know, that locker room kind of got, got away from it, killed him. I mean, there were too many questionable characters that came into that locker room, which were not Marty Schottenheimer-type guys. But at the end, maybe there was a uh, desperation to go to the next level and he'd take chances on players. So, uh, yes, you have to evaluate who he's talking to, but then how did they get there? You have to look at that point, yeah, too. that's a very valid point. I remember that last year. We used to scrimmage with Kansas City and I was in Minnesota. And I remember uh, Marty saying that year going in, I'm not sure I like this team. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I like these guys, which I understand the perspective, yeah. but it's scary because you're going, well, if you don't, then who does? That's right. <laughs> if you're not going to love them, if, if the group you've put together. Yeah. All right, well, let's take let, – obviously, let's talk and, – and we don't have to talk specifically. We will talk about some of the needs of these teams as we see it from a general manager and head coaching perspective. But l- l- I'm going to make you just uh, a public general manager A with a team. Let's talk us through how you begin the process. You need a head coach. How do you begin that process? Well, you begin the process long before you need a head coach, okay? You've got two things. One, at the end of every year, I would I would interview all the teams that 
interviewed coaches that hired a coach. Tell me who was good. Tell me who was bad. Tell me why you liked the ones you didn't hire and why you didn't like the ones you didn't hire. So you'd always have a book ready. You have to have a book ready because you never know when your owner is going to say to you, give me a list. Give me your list. So you have to have it ready. I learned it in a sense, in, 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 a, in, a, in a, say a hard way, but Joe Gibbs coming off uh, two years off a Super Bowl win immediately after a playoff win uh, season retires in March. Well, March can't hire anybody. Right, too okay? late. But uh, that taught me, hey, you better be ready because you never know what's going to happen. So, so you work on formulating the list from the people who just interviewed. Then I'd look in the college ranks. Is there a coach in the college ranks who has pro experience? You know, a Tom Coughlin, a Pete Carroll. Okay, going back to Bill Wall, somebody who became a head coach in college and was successful, but knew the pro game, knew people to hire in the so NFL. So you, you tended to lean towards you like the, the head coaching experience, but obviously if they had that in the NFL and they're available, they either lost the job. So you're looking for, like we're seeing around the league a little bit sometimes, guys with former NFL experience that have now proven they can be a head coach, a.k.a. O'Brien and Penn State. Possibility there. Okay. I wouldn't eliminate guys who – who uh, were a head coach from my list and were out of work because there's there's a litany of guys. Marv Levy's in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. He got fired Absolutely. from Kansas City. Uh, Bill Belichick got fired in Cleveland. Mike Shanahan got fired in Oakland. So there have been successful coaches who had losing records second time around one. So you evaluate what did they do with the job, and then you would go through you know the coordinators. What coordinators do you think are interesting to talk to? Uh, so that's how you would form. To, I would form the list. So it could be an extensive list, and then you start checking it, uh, calling people, let you know. Uh, and again, I've always said this is a hard process uh, to go through. It's not simple. So, but that's to me how you, you form your list. Well, and the, and the list of guys that we're talking about in that category of the former head coaches in this league that are not there now. Uh, Lovey Smith, that name comes to the top. We know what a good coach Lovey Smith is, the success he had in Chicago. Ken Wisenhunt doing very well in San Diego, obviously, with the success he had in Arizona. A couple other, Jack Del Rio, nine-year run in Jacksonville and, and the defensive coordinator in Denver now. Uh, Jim Mora, uh, one of the guys we're talking about that was a former head coach in this league, now has done very well at UCLA. And a guy like Josh McDaniels, that seems to be the biggest. His, his run in Denver and then now, obviously, the offensive coordinator in in New England. So, you know, Brian, Brian, I'm going to give you a name that I would have on my list that I would want to interview, and that's Jim Caldwell. Okay, yes, okay. that's a good, you're exactly and, right. And, and he, In Baltimore now he, is the offensive coordinator. He mentioned, and yet when I looked at um, – And why is that, do you think? Why is Jim Caldwell not I, – I would say I would say a couple things. Number one, Jim's a quiet guy, okay? And, and quiet guys somehow don't get a lot mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I know in, in certain interviews he's had, uh, there was a question about what his presence is. But after people have been around him and, and seen him operate in front of the team, okay, they don't, they don't question that at all. Uh, I mean, people have constantly recommended this guy to me who have been around him. And interestingly, you know, obviously he took uh, Indianapolis to the Super Bowl, lost a close game, a heartbreak. I mean, right. could have gone either way. Then goes 2-14 and 14 when, when Peyton can't play. Okay? And yet uh, during that 2-14 and 14 season, that team played hard, played with emotion, never quit, were prepared. He, he did the best he could in that situation. So you saw him handle adversity with grace, and the players responded to him. Okay, so when you research this guy, uh, you see leadership in him, a quiet, confident leadership. You see adaptability with him. You see a guy uh, that can be creative, make tough decisions. He can present his plan to the media. Um, 
But you know, he, he is, comes across as a quiet person, so some people question his presence. And I think he gets kind of caught in following Dungy and not being there long enough. So I think there's a lot of things. He's not a self-promoter either. So, but to me, he's a guy I absolutely would have on my list, and I'd want to talk to him. And, and I'd, I'd want to get a feel for his command in the room. Uh, and, and everything I've gotten is good on it. But the people who, di- who, who answer your question, why doesn't he, that's their question too. Yeah. How, how does your interview, when you sit down with these prospective head coaches, how does that interview differ with a guy who's got former head coaching experience in the NFL versus one of these coordinators you may visit? How is that? Is the conversation different? Well, it, uh, certainly there's parts of it that's different. If, if, if a guy has a record, okay, then, then you can clearly go back and ask him specific questions. Lovey Smith, the obvious question Lovey Smith has to answer is the offensive coordinator position. That's why he's unemployed. He had five offensive coordinators. Uh, he kind of took a hands-off approach, from what I understand, on the offense. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn and what will you do differently? There's nothing wrong with saying, I learned something, okay? And I'm a, I, I've, I've learned, I've taken a year off, I've studied it, here's what I'm going to do differently. I mean, Rex Ryan came out, and to his credit, you know, uh, changed his offensive coordinator, changed, you know, whether he bent it or not, said he would change offensive philosophy on what they did, and they did, okay? So people can change. So that, that would be, a, based on what the person has done, that would that, that be one of the questions you could zero in on. The person who hasn't done it, uh, again, is going to focus more on, you know, what's his philosophy, what's his big picture. You know, I'd have a, pages of questions that I would go through. Some I would call just your nuts and bolts. Give me your first 100 days. Mm-hmm. Give me your mm-hmm. OTAs. To show that I understand what this structure looks like, and I know how to get us in and out. I can get us in and out of the locker room. I right, can get exactly. us on the bus. Do I understand the organizational aspect of yeah. it? Yeah, but I'll tell you, Brian, the most telling part of the interview is who he's going to hire as a staff because that's the only original part of the interview. Everything else he could have copied from somebody. Right. Okay, put it in his own words, and you would know whether it's true or not. If a guy hasn't been a head coach before, if he's been a head coach before, we got a track record we can right. pick off of. But when that is the eye-opening thing, and when I would interview people about – what coaches they hired and didn't hire, the most telling comment would always be their staff. That eliminated more guys from jobs than any other single factor. But how would you, and I love this conversation because, again, I'm looking at it from the coach's perspective, and, and obviously every job I've interviewed for, obviously that is, that's kind of job one. It's who, you, who, who are you going to bring together. Yeah. And as a coach, you always had to be prepared two and three deep at sure. each position because you're not always going to get your top guy. And, and, and it shows you the makeup. You want to show a GM, look, I, I have an understanding of how this works. But, but how do I say this? Brian, to that point, uh-huh. that tells you something, too. I remember a guy came in, and, and he's got some pretty good names, and, and one of them was working for the Redskins. And uh, I said, uh, yeah. well, what makes you think you're going to get that guy? Oh, I've talked to him already. Oh, he says he can get out. Yeah, he said he can get out. <laughs> I says, I know Joe Gibbs. He ain't get out. Ain't Who's your next choice? Right. He didn't have one. Yeah. So the, having a little depth to it and flexibility tells you a lot about this guy's ability to plan and have foresight. But go ahead. Well, and then how did, no, not at all. Uh, so as a GM, though, and, and you're around coaches all the time, and you're going to have a perspective about who's a good coach, who's not a good coach. But if I come in and say this is my staff, how do you judge me if I say this guy's a good offensive line coach? Do you have to be careful not to prejudge saying, well, I don't know. I, I haven't heard as many good things about this offensive line coach or I have some. In other words, how do I put together a staff that's my staff and not your staff? Well, first of all, I'm not going to question you on who you put there. OK, now, if you ask me my opinion, I'll give it. But I'm not going to I'm not going to question the guys and say, well, you know, coach, I don't think this guy's a good coach. OK, who your staff is, is your staff. And then that's going to – I'm not going to discuss it. 
but I'm going to have an opinion on it. Right. Okay? Because one of the jobs you have as a general manager is evaluating assistant coaches in the league. You go to the senior bowl, you see you go to, you go, and you see coaches there. You go to workouts, you see coaches there. You ask people because you've got to have a ready list for coaches because every head coach I've been around, okay, at some point he'll come to you and says, hey, I'm looking for a defensive line coach. Do you have a couple guys in mind? Anybody, anybody in college you think that uh, uh, can coach linebackers for us? Okay, I, I'd like to get a college guy in the staff. So you always got to be thinking. You're not telling them who to hire, and you're not going in there and t- disrupting it, but you, you better have a plan for it. Because here's the thing. If you don't know coaches, and he comes in with a staff that's bad, at the end of the day, we're all going to suffer. Okay? But in the interview, I'm not going to tell him I don't like that guy. Okay, he he'll he'll sink or die on what he sent for, put in front of us. Do you have to fight the tendency? Uh, and it's not a hundred percent true, but what tends to happen in this league is you you kind of hire the opposite of what you just fired. If you had a the hot offensive coordinator, then you probably you tend to lean towards someone with former head coaching experience or maybe a defensive guy. If you had a former head coach and this was his second go around, well, now I'm going to go get the hot coordinator. If you had a college guy, well, I'm going to get a pro guy. If you had a pro guy, I'm going to get a college guy. Is is that something that's conscious or you think that's just subliminal and you tend to go away from the thing you just fired? Let me say this. It happens. Let's start there. It's wrong. Okay. Um, to me, I think you have to divide it into two parts here. Uh, I interviewed Dan Rooney one time about hiring a head coach, the most successful owner in the history of professional sports about hiring. He said, I look for three things. The first thing I look for is presence, leadership. Guy can walk in the room, command the room. Second thing is communication, his ability to communicate with all parties, which, as you know, Brian, you have to communicate with an owner, communicate your vision to the fans, and you've got to communicate to some players that – Aren't real smart, okay? <laughs> I'm being diplomatic about don't it. Don't communicate okay? as well. <laughs> All right, don't communicate as well. Um, so you, And then character, okay? Those were his criteria. Had nothing to do with offense or defense or quarterback play or whatever. So to me, you got to hire a leader, a guy that can stand in front of the room, command the respect, okay, communicate. And then we can talk. There's other characteristics, too. We understand that. But that's the number one thing I want a leader. Now, however, once we've determined this guy's a leader, then we got to know about his plan. So, for example, if I'm going into the Detroit Lions, okay, there's some things i got to know. First of all, I'll, what's your plan for our, to make our quarterback better? Because our quarterback doesn't have real good fundamentals, okay? So i I, I got to see a plan for that, okay? So let's take Dan, uh, that, Detroit as an example. Other, other if points, you're the general manager for the Detroit Lions, yeah. then does that lead you towards primarily an offensive guy with a quarterback background? No, it leads me to a guy that's a leader that has the vision Okay, to hire a guy that can be a uh, uh, a good quarter, a good coordinator. Okay, what happens a lot of times is uh, uh, the uh, failures of coaches are because they cannot hire the other side of the ball. Mm-hmm. They're very good on one side, but they fail on the other side of the ball. So I'm looking for a guy that wants to hire a strong staff, wants to hire competent people, wants to hire better people than him. Okay, the, I was around two Hall of Fame coaches, and they hired all star staffs. Mm-hmm. Okay, Joe Gibbs. Okay. Hired a tremendous. His first staff on defense had three defensive coordinators. Richie Pettibone, Larry Pecatello, and Torgi Torgerson all had been coordinators. So he wasn't concerned about that. George Allen always hired strong coaches around him. Okay? But they both managed the staffs. Okay? They can handle strong personalities, which is, you know, that, there's, that is something you look for, too. Um, but you, you, have to, you can't ignore the problems you have with your team. For example, if you have the first pick in the draft in Houston, somewhere in the makeup of this staff, we better have a guy that can develop a young quarterback. 
I'll, you wouldn't hire your head coach to do it because maybe he can do that and he can't be the head coach. Right, right. So, and doesn't that happen a lot of times? Yes, you, absolutely. You end up going with the, the guru of the month that has an expertise on the offense or defensive side of the ball that kind of addresses what you think is the number one need for your team, but it does. You put you do so with uh, some blinders on sometimes because then they come to find out, okay, yeah, we knew he's a brilliant defensive guy, but this guy's not a head coach. Right, exactly. Either it's the leadership fact is failing and he can't run the team, or the fact is he, he hires a bad staff and doesn't get the other side of the ball uh, straightened out. So he can't do game management during the game. So, you know, right, to me it's two parts. You hire the head coach because he's a leader and has a vision uh, and all the other things you want, the ability to communicate, character. But part of that is he has to be able to look at your team and have a plan to solve your problems, but your problems today aren't going to be your problems in three years. So, in other words, in hiring a staff, hire an excellent staff. We've got three teams, and I always find this interesting. You can tell my bias in this whole thing. Since, they don't have a quarterback. <laughs> true. Well, okay. Well, that's part of it too. When, I, when you look, I at thought the, you were going to say that. Well, and that and and that le- that'll lead me to another question. Well, go back to what that, you're going to well, ask. No, no, I think, I'll, I'll come back to that because this is this is a good question. Um, is it not part of it in this league right now that the decision whether to keep your coach or not, if you're in the top end of the draft? meaning you weren't very good, it's probably because you need a quarterback. When, when you look at this year's draft, six of the ten teams, top ten teams, yeah. all need a quarterback. And it was the same last year. And so that, like that. that, you know, it, it, it's kind of a quid pro quo. Yeah. You're there because you don't have a quarterback. Right. And, and half of them now need a head coach. Is that part of the decision process that I see now that it seems to be going forward, if you need a quarterback, you likely need a new head coach? And that's where the decision is, like, say, the Houston Texans. Look, we're going to need to go get a quarterback. Because you don't want to get in that cycle of, no, I'm going to stick with my coach. We'll take one of these young quarterbacks. Uh, Jack Del Rio in, in Jacksonville. You yeah. stay with the coach. You draft the guy, uh, Blaine Gabbert, at number 10. Doesn't work good the next year. Then Jack Del Rio goes. You bring in Mike Millar. There just seems to be out of, out of kilt compared to you see John Harbaugh, and they draft John or Joe or, or Flacco. Joe Flacco. Yeah. Mike Smith. Matt Ryan. That yeah. When you marry those together, just like uh, Andy Reid came in and they got uh, Don McNabb, that seems to be, if I need the one, then I probably need the other. Usually that's the case. The yeah. thing you have to be careful of, and I've, been, and I've made this mistake, is, okay, because here's the discussion. It's my first year. Let's get a quarterback and grow from here. If we don't get a quarterback, that puts us a year behind. If we don't get a quarterback two years, we, we're way behind. Okay, now we're starting from scratch in year two or year three. Okay. And obviously, owners evaluate coaches uh, a little more critically in year two than year one and year three than one. Okay, so now what happens is we got to get a quarterback. So you force the quarterback right. up into the position to draft him. Okay, now it's a lot easier, as we know, sitting in the studio to say that's the wrong thing to do right. than go out there and and lose sixteen games and 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 not be able to get a first down. Okay, so it's a lot easier to go through that and say you shouldn't do it, but. Uh, and we go in cycles that way, do we not? A couple of years ago, that's how you end up, in my opinion, my words, so not to put words in your mouth, how we end up with a Blaine Gabbert, with a, I'd even throw Ryan Tannehill in, Tannehill in there, a Christian Ponder, yeah. a, a, a Jake Locker, yeah. uh, even a Brandon Whedon at 22. These guys get pulled up out of need into the first round. We've got a lot of busts in there. So the next year we kind of dialed back, and it's only E.J. Manuel. Whether Geno Smith should have been a first-rounder yeah. or not, we push back the other way. we got a lot of needs, and a fairly deep, at this point, looks like college quarterback group. 
Are we looking at a whole bunch of quarterbacks getting pulled into the first 15 picks this year? Probably you do. Whether it's deservedly or not. Last year, that quarterback uh, class was so weak that people couldn't pull them up. Okay, Buffalo did. Wanted to, but couldn't. (laughs) Right, Buffalo did. Uh, But even there, with a top 10 pick, they wouldn't take one. They traded back to the point they probably couldn't go back any farther than E.J. Manuel then. Um, This year, this is a more talented group. Whether there is that many qualified top ten quarterbacks, I can't say at this point because uh, I haven't studied them yet. But I think it'll be the same old story. Guys are going to get pulled up. We got three teams: the Detroit Lions, the Washington Redskins, and the Cleveland Browns. That since two thousand will now be hiring their eighth coach. Now, to me, you hire eight coaches in fourteen years. To me, that's like the guy that's been divorced eight times. Okay, okay, maybe it's not you. Yeah, but only, don't, only difference is the teams aren't broke. That's right. Yeah, they don't have to share half that. And I realize we're talking about some different general managers here, but we're ta- and and even in the case of Cleveland, ownership. different ownership. Yeah. But in the case of the Washington Redskins, in the case of the Detroit Lions, doesn't ownership have to kind of take a step back and go, wait a minute, let's let's reevaluate how we're picking these guys. Well, I think so. I think in Washington's case, I think Dan Snyder is a different owner today than he was when he bought the team uh, in 1999. I was there when he bought the team. Okay, so I know he's a different owner. Uh, his last coaching hire, he hired Mike Shanahan, who will be on the Hall of Fame ballot, justifiably so. Gave him absolutely total control. He not only gave him total control, but basically spent money in many other areas off the football field, like uh, uh, moving the training camp to Richmond, building an indoor practice field, expanding the facility there um, to, to make it a first-class operation. And um, and in, they didn't win. You know, whether Mike should be let go or not is another discussion. Um, but Dan Snyder did what everyone said he should do, give somebody control and let him run it. He did it. Okay, so I think he's a different owner now than he was when he started. I think in Detroit they've always taken a, a hands-off, patient approach on ownership. Uh, let the general manager make the decision. With Jim Schwartz, you know, Jim Schwartz took over a team who hadn't won a game, got him to the playoffs, uh, and then couldn't get any consistency in the program. And and when you looked at them, discipline, game management, fundamentals with the quarterback. I mean, th- those were things that bothered you. Okay, so. Uh, I think in, in Dan Snyder's case, uh, he's putting Bruce Allen in charge of this. Bruce Allen's going to be in charge of the personnel decision, but but he's got some lieutenants under Mark O'Brien and, and Scott Campbell who he likes and who are good. So it's really Bruce is going to have a collective effort in this thing, which is the right way to do it. Uh, so I think Dan Snyder has adjusted to thinking. Uh, I don't know the Fords well enough to know uh, how they will adjust their thinking in this situation, except it's clear uh, from the early talks we hear they want an experienced coach. Somebody who's been there, done that, because I think that's where the team is. Right. And that, that that's a limited field, obviously, yes. compared to the other. L- let me ask this then to finish. We'll finish our conversation about the coaches, because I do want to touch on the, the playoffs a little bit, just our view going in. But when you look at going forward, would you agree with me that this has become a general manager's league before when we had – you know, a number of head coaches, and that seemed to be the top of the organization. But and, and, and that's neither good nor bad. It just is. But that this has become a general manager's league, whether it's a general manager that's the personnel, the cap guy, the president, however the form is. So the criteria they're choosing the head coach by is maybe a little different than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I can't say that the, the criteria to choose a head coach is any different. 
Uh, I think that depends on the team and the ownership. I don't think the Giants have any different vision. I don't think the Steelers have any different vision. I don't think Jeff Lurie has any different vision uh, when he hired his coach right now. Uh, I think he's still looking for, uh, I'll, I'll put it in my term, an, a, 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 a independent thinker mm-hmm. uh, who doesn't doesn't necessarily fall into a box. Uh, so I don't necessarily agree with people have changed what they look for mm-hmm. necessarily in a head coach. I think we have too many changes is what we have. Yeah. It's illogical to change six to eight a year. Right, and, 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 and after one year. You know, obviously, Rob Chichinsky. Again, we we don't know what the workings of that were. You go through that process last year. They were fired up. They were very uh, effusive. Uh, was Mike Lombardi and and Joe Banner about the process? It's exhaustive. We were looking for a very oh, specific yeah, yeah. set of circumstances. Yeah. And now, one year out. Uh, that that's a hard one as a coach. I mean, really, one year. And and I don't have a quarterback coming in. You trade away my running back. Hold this thing together. I had their game against the Chicago Bears, and they were competitive. They played hard. Um, that That's just, as a coach for me, it's hard for me to swallow that one after one year. Well, it is, Brian, and I, and I get that uh, because, because you not only have that, you traded away draft choices for the future. You told everybody coming in we're going for 2014. Right. You saved cap room for 2014. You weren't good enough to win this year. Okay, that's the reality. You overrated your offensive line uh, because it didn't play as well as you thought it was going to play. So, really, the coaches did not have a chance to win this year. Now, that being said, if you think you made a mistake on the guy, that, that's a whole other right, thing right. Uh, on it. But the coaches didn't have a chance. Let's, uh, let's run through the playoff field real quick. Let's talk starting the AFC. KC is going to visit the Indianapolis Colts. How do you see it? Well, I get, uh, as I understand it, Justin Houston is going to come back. And that's got to make a difference yeah. because when the two of them were in there, they had a, a good pass rush, made Tomba Holly better, right? and that helped the secondary. So, uh, uh, however, on the other side of the ball, their offense absolutely does not scare me. I, I went back and watched the Indy game. They don't get the ball downfield. They can't get it downfield, okay? Uh, Jamal Charles is a one-man offense for him, and Indy right now is playing good team football. They, they, they play better than their personnel. Yeah. And on defense, they don't, on offense, they don't make mistakes. Um, I, like, I like Andrew Luck at home in this game. Yeah, I uh, can't. I'm with you. I can't. Kansas City's inability to come up with a big play yeah. outside of a screen to Jamal Charles that <laughs> happens to hit. <laughs> yeah. They have a tough time pushing it down the field on yeah. the road with Indy. I agree with you on that. San Diego, Cincinnati. I just uh, Cincinnati is such a complete team. Other than that opening three, four minutes against Pittsburgh, I'd almost be willing to put Cincy above any seed in the AFC thinking they can go on the road. So, as long as any Dalton has come out and throw four interceptions, I just think San Diego's going to have a tough time going into Cincinnati. I, I do, too. I, I'm going to go with Cincinnati there. Cincinnati uh, will, will win as many games as Andy Dalton plays consistently, yeah, and, and that's the thing. When he plays consistent, uh, they got a chance to win. But I'll tell you, Mike Zimmer's done a tremendous job with that defense. He's done. And, and a guy that, that I, I don't quite understand why he has not got more play, maybe this year, as a head coaching candidate. I think he'd be one of those guys he, he that you want to visit with. deserves it, absolutely. Let's, let's go over to the NFC. San Francisco-Green Bay turned into classic matchups. Aaron Rodgers back. Randall Cobb back. Boy, they're, they're energized. It's in Green Bay. It's going to be cold. doesn't sound like the wind's going to be a big factor. But I'm not sure San Francisco may not be the most complete team we've got. Can they go on the road and beat Green Bay? Yes, because they're a better football team. But you know what, Brian, it's it's interesting. In the opening game of the year, Green Bay did an excellent job stopping the run, could not stop the pass. Kaepernick Kaepernick was great. 400-plus yards. This is a totally different uh, game this time. Kaepernick is not playing well right now. He's one read, and that's it. Okay, so he's not playing as well as he played in the opener. Green Bay can't stop the run anymore, okay? (laughs) But San Francisco's a better football team. The other thing is, on matchups, though, 
Green Bay has a chance because you can throw on San Francisco. And that's what Aaron Rodgers can do. Yeah, and so, the fact that they've got a running game as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so you think Green Bay at home or no? I, I'm going to go with San Francisco. Yeah, I, you go with the better team. <laughs> you just gave me a good long list of why Green Bay yeah. can do it. No. I'm with you. I'm with you the same way. I just did the New Orleans game. Yeah, New Orleans going into Philadelphia. I think New Orleans is the one team uniquely situated to maybe match Philadelphia to go up and down the field. And I think they're a little bit better defensively than those other. Uh, high-flying offenses, so to speak, I think they match up pretty good with Philadelphia on the road, even though it's on the road and they don't play well. Right. I, I, it's a high-scoring game. Uh, this this might be who gets the ball last in this situation. So uh, a high-scoring game. Yeah, interesting matchups. The other thing I look at it in terms of the, the, the league right now in the playoff picture, uh, interested in your perspective, it seems like we've got one of two camps. You either have – the good all-around team, play good defense, run the ball, solid quarterback play when you're talking about Seattle, Carolina, you know, San Francisco's in that category, uh, Cincinnati I'd throw in there, or we have a, a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Brady, Manning, Breeze, Roger, that doesn't have much on defense other than New Orleans, who's pretty good. Yeah. So it's that that compelling quarterback versus maybe the more complete team. Yeah, you do, and and uh, and at the end of the day, this game's in the Meadowlands, so it's yeah, gonna, it's yeah. going to be it's going to be a little different situation there. What happens is like a Seattle, okay? What happens to Seattle is when Arizona plays them, a first class defense, okay? Russell Wilson, right? They they able they control the run, and Russell Wilson. It was interesting. He got outside the pocket, I think, eleven times in the game. He only completed two passes, which that's not going to happen. The pressure got to Russell Wilson. Okay, but that's the first time that's really happened all year. And it's interesting that the teams that get there and deserve to be in the Super Bowl may not be the best team suited to win in New York. That where you talk about the good defense, running the ball. So yeah. hey, it's going to be fascinating anyway. Well, that wraps it up for this week's Coach Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and we'll be back next week to recap Wild Card Weekend and look ahead to the divisional matchups. <laughs>